Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. Coming up on this week's show, why 2021 will be the year of streaming soccer, details on Serie B and Serie C available again in the US, what ESPN Plus has in store for 2021, why Taylor Twelman gets under my skin, plus we have letters from you listeners uh, in our mailbag section. I'm Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, joined alongside my co-host, as always, Kartik Krishnayer. Kartik, we've got a lot to get to in this episode, so let's dive right in. What was your game of the week? Anything uh, stand out for you? Yeah, I guess it would be two. It would be the recency effect, maybe of, of both uh, both matches. Uh, I watched. Uh, well, I watched several matches today, but the um, the Atalanta Napoli match. I thought just Atalanta was at their brilliant best, which they have not always been at in Serie A this season. Uh, they haven't been quite as good the la- as the last two seasons in Serie A, but in um, the Coppa Italia, they 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 put on a masterclass against Napoli. They've had matches where uh, they've been good in, in Serie. A. I don't want to say they haven't been, but they um, they 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 have uh, not been as consistently. I mean, the last two seasons, Chris, you know this. Anytime you turn on an Atalanta match, you are you are sure to be entertained. Um, this season, it's been. You know every other match maybe, but uh, this match was fantastic against Napoli this uh, this afternoon U.S. time, and right at as that concluded uh, or was concluding, Everton Spurs was kicking off, and that was of course uh, equally entertaining and uh, remarkable that that Everton with all their injuries were able to defeat um, Spurs. And granted, they were at home, but still uh, five goals from a, a team that's got uh, an injury ward, and it got worse with Calvert Lewin going off in this match. Yeah, a nine-goal thriller, and not a nine-zero, but a five-four. That was entertaining. My match of the week, if it wasn't the Everton Spurs game, which it, which it was really entertaining, I think it was Newcastle against Southampton at the weekend. Um, a three-two game to Newcastle. This reminded me of a game from say the nineteen nineties in the uh, the Premier League. It was pouring down with rain. There was red cards. There were, uh, of course, uh, VAR incidents. There was a Newcastle playing down to nine men. Uh, one of the players got picked up an injury. Lots of shots on goal, open ended, and it really felt like a classic open ended 
football match from the 90s, from, from the English football days. Um, really, really entertaining to watch. And, and Newcastle getting, getting a, a well-deserved win there. Kartik, um, so, so you and I faced off on Wednesday, uh, my team against your team, Swansea City against Manchester City. It did not live up to my promises of what I thought it could have been in terms of you know, you know, a, a free-flowing, entertaining championship side coming up against a free-flowing, entertaining Premier League side. Uh, Swansea... Uh, dropped five of their starters, their key starters, resting them really for this weekend's game in the championship, which is where where the money's at. I mean, they're focused 100% on trying to get uh, automatically promoted. Uh, FA Cup run is always good. And uh, I think even with Swansea's five starters that normally play, I think it still would have been Man City probably winning this one. But what was your take on on the game and and um, and the pleasant surprise of uh, John Champion and Taylor Twellman doing the commentary? Yeah, I, I was very surprised by ESPN's decision, and and, and um, I enjoyed the commentary. Although there were some uneven moments, I, I think uh, 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 Twellman knew a lot more about Manchester City than he did about Swansea. Um, now, maybe that would have happened with any commentary team, right? Maybe we don't pick on on Twellman for that. Maybe if it had been a, a native British-based commentator, uh, he, he would have been the same but it was clear that 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 he was more prepared he was more prepared to talk about uh manchester city um and then talk about the americans on swansea right although it it seemed like by the time areola came on i I thought areola played pretty well actually very well um i think he's a very good player i mean i i I know uh people who don't follow uh don't follow soccer on the side of the uh, the the atlantic think of areola as an mls guy but he actually played several years in mexico at a high level which is uh, by the way a pretty good league you know tigres is in the uh, world club cup final and monterey almost beat uh, liverpool last season in that same competition so uh liga mekis don't 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 sleep on that league at all uh it's it's of a european level in my opinion but um i don't i I think that Twelman was more prepared to just talk about Manchester City. And he, from my perspective as a City fan, he said some of the things that the commentators that are normally calling City games don't do. And I appreciated that, like his analysis of Torres, uh, Ferran Torres, who, who got a rare start today. His analysis of, of some of the things Gundogan does off the ball, which you don't necessarily get from the from the British uh, co-commentators. And his, and his discussion also about... Uh, Jesus. Now, the flip side of that would be I have to assume, Chris, I shouldn't put words in your mouth, that you might be frustrated because he, he it was clear he was much more prepared to talk about City. He's watched City a lot and he may not have watched Swansea at all all season. That that would be so, so uh, this, maybe what I was thinking. So this is the first time I've ever had uh, my team uh, uh, co-commentated by Taylor Twellman. As far as I know, because it's it, I mean, he wouldn't have done uh, Premier League matches when Swansea would have been in in the Premier League, of course, because NBC had the rights. And any other Swansea game, if it was a cup game, um, it's very unlikely that uh, he commentated or co-commentated those games. And in the past, I mean, listeners can can uh, uh, address this one too. In the past, we've received a lot of criticism in general about Taylor. Some people love him. Some people don't like him. There's very few people in the middle. But this was the very first time, as, as far as I can remember, that uh, Taylor was co-commentating on my team. And I guess, I, I guess he rubbed me the wrong way because, I mean, yes, he was critical um, and a lot more positive about Man City. But Man City played much, much better. But he seemed to be harsh, over over harshly uh, critical of Swansea, 
at times they deserved it, but then seemed to be obsessing about um, Ariola and and more so uh, Jordan Morris. I'm I'm okay with those things. What I'm not okay with though is that uh, he seems to be spreading himself uh, so thin. So if you go onto his Twitter feed, about sixty to eighty percent of it is non-soccer. You I mean it's baseball, it's basketball, it's NFL, you name it. There's less and less soccer being discussed there. And I just felt that he was um, not well prepared for this game in terms of some of his knowledge about Swansea. Uh, Yes, you know, a little bit of of it in terms of uh, their formation and some of their key players. And then post-match, he admitted that uh, he hadn't gotten to bed until like 2.30 in the morning the day of the game. And I'm like, okay, what is he doing that's so important that he's going to bed at 2.30 in the morning and not getting the rest and being prepped for this game? I don't know. It just like the, I walked away from this match thinking to myself that um, now I get it. Now I understand a little bit of why there's a lot of people out there that don't like his style. He is very opinionated, which is what you get with a co-commentator. I think Taylor takes it to a different level, but I mean, that's what co-commentators are there to do is give their analysis and give their opinions. But I just thought that um, just the way he came off was kind of almost like a know-it-all, but then didn't have a lot of the knowledge of of this game and of this team itself. So I walked away from this one kind of with kind of really thinking that... Um, if ESPN got the rights to the Premier League, I might not be that happy about it. If, if Taylor's going to be one of your key guys in the commentary, he admitted that uh, he's been watching, he doesn't care too much about uh, Premier League games when it's kind of a mid-table clashes. And uh, I don't know, just, just uh, I guess it's personal for me because it's my team. But again, I, I think I understand when uh, people have criticized Taylor um, when it's been him commentating their team. One more thing to that too, in terms of uh, him not being prepared and also, you mean, kind of getting not much sleep, I guess, the night before, is at halftime during the analysis and, and uh, review of yesterday's game, the Man United-West Ham game on Tuesday, a couple of times he was talking about Manchester United and was, and was saying Manchester City. So to me, that sounds like uh, somebody that's overtired, spread too thin, I mean, he's doing Sports Nation, he's doing basketball for ESPN, he's doing this, that, and the other. I, I just think it'd be better if he just really kind of focused in on this soccer coverage and had that continue to be his forte. Now, that that's up to him personally, but um, I was not impressed. I will say, um, in his defense, or maybe not in his defense, this is, again, maybe a shot at NBC, the way Twelman uh, drooled about Manchester City, because right from the, the kickoff, you know, right away he was talking about, oh, well, De Bruyne and Aguero have been hurt, but this is how Pep has changed. It's clear he's watched a lot of City, uh, and very, and I think equally clear he maybe not even watched Swansea at all prior to today. Um, that's... the. The, the anger I've had with NBC recently is that I feel like NBC has gone to that narrative, right? Now, Arlo White isn't necess- and Graham Lasso, they're not necessarily that way. But the studio team, if it's Southampton versus Manchester United, they're not going to talk about Southampton, right? They're going to just completely ignore them. And, and when one of those teams, if Brighton upset, well, Brighton did upset Liverpool, right? They'll spend all the time talking about Liverpool. So, I, you, you see, I, I, I think 
you might be right because uh, you don't want ESPN to get the rights if that's the way they're going to broadcast. Right. But I don't think it was any different than what NBC does, right? There's no, that's true. Now this big six obsession among pundits, and I've noticed it with English commentary too. I, I've checked out a little bit of Sky in the last week um, because of my disgust with NBC. They're they're probably even worse about it, believe it or not. <laughs> well, it, it, they don't it's, have it's, a guy like Danny Higginbotham on their, their airwaves. Oh, I mean, he's been on Sky, but right. not right now, that actually says, okay, well, this is what Brighton does, and I like how Brighton plays or Fulham plays. They don't even have that on Sky right now. Yeah, it's a big six uh, fixation, obsession. But also from the U.S., it's also the American obsession, where whether it's Christian Pulisic with NBC coverage and I mean pretty much every headline, any press release, any promo, it's always Christian Pulisic, uh, whether he's playing playing or not, starting or not. And then with, with Taylor, I think in many ways, in this commentary, I, I don't know if it was post-match or actually I think it was during the game in the second half, he was talking about how he thinks that maybe John Morris's and Paul Ariola's uh, profile will help Swansea get into those automatic uh, playoff spots and get promoted to the Premier League. Well, the reality is is that it's unlikely that Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola are going to be starters for Swansea. So how is their profile going to help Swansea? Yes, in terms of coming on as, as second-half subs with 10 minutes to go, or if there is an injury, that could help. But at this present moment, moving forward, it's unlikely that both Jordan Morris and Paul Ariola are going to get a lot of playing time. Um, unless he changes things, which the, the coach is, is reluctant to do so. This today on Wednesday was uh, those two players' best chances to shine. Both of them shined a little bit, but um, against Man City, it's very difficult in terms of you, you're not going to have much of the ball, not much possession, not many chances. And both of them played well. I just think that uh, there's this obsession about focusing in on individual players or the big six, and it's a team game. You have two teams playing. You got, uh, you mean, eleven players on each squad. It's more about just the American obsession, and it's more about it's it's, it's much more than just the big six ob- obsession. Yeah, I, I'm going to say this about Morris and Ariola. I'm hoping that this doesn't turn into a thing where the guys who are playing ahead of them at Swansea end up being hated by Americans. Because uh, well, it's if already I happened. Say anything? Yeah, well, yeah. This is the way this no on social media. Chelsea. Yeah, yeah. They, I, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I've tried to disconnect myself from it, but now it's to the point where if I tweet something positive, and I'm a big Mason Mount fan, and I was a big proponent of his, and uh, when he was at Derby, and, and it turns out then he goes back to. Chelsea and they signed Pulisic and it creates this this tension between me and the U.S. men's national team fanboy. But anytime I mention Mason Mount and how good he is and, hey, you know, stop the hate. I don't get the hate uh, toward him. There's this pushback about Pulisic. And the fact is they don't actually play the same position. But um, Pulisic is so deficient in some of the things he does that it, and Lampard trusted Mount. OK, maybe Lampard did have a little bit of bias toward him, but then eventually Pulisic proved himself and got hurt again, as he always does. But this is the thing I worry about for Swansea, Chris, is that when there is when you are playing in the way of an American, um, the social media reaction from Americans who don't watch those teams normally or don't really care about the other players becomes overbearing. So even when I so it started with Mount Lasker this year, it's been the same thing with Hudson Odoi and Ziyech. When I praise those guys, people assume I'm taking a shot at Pulisic or they, they make it about Pulisic. And, and it's just, it's tiring. 
Yeah, it's it's difficult because I, for the most part, I try to ignore social media. But uh, when it's my team, it, it, you mean I take it a little bit per- more personally, and I probably pay more attention to it. But yeah, there, there's been there's been people on social media already that have been saying like, you know, Swansea's coach sucks. How come he's not uh, subbing out more of uh, his players? He needs to give more playing time to Morris and and to Ariola. This is ridiculous. You know I mean, so so just this fixation on on just individual players. Um, it reminds me a lot of um, uh, Liga Max in Mexico. Whenever you have Mexicans playing for Napoli or, or uh, in the Dutch league, or you know, I mean, in other leagues, the, the sheer numbers of people that that watch those games is much greater. Uh, yeah. There's a fixation. I'm not sure if it's the same type of fixation that we have in, in the United States, um, but it is one of those things that anytime for, for me, I, I just personally want to enjoy the football. And yes, there's stars, but I want to enjoy the team game and kind of the team chemistry and the team philosophy. And there's going to be individual stars that that's, that step out that really kind of shine above above everyone else. But to me, it's about the teams, the history, the clubs, the leagues. There's so much more to it than just those the big six and the, the American obsession. And and I think it's you know, I mean, to me, I get I get it's so frustrating. But uh, you mean, it's nothing we can do to change that. But uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's positive. I mean, hopefully, Ariola and Morris and uh, Daryl DK and all these different players from around Europe and around the world will get lots of experience and playing time and get better. Um, but there's been plenty of players from I mean, whatever country you name that have high you uh, mean expectations and never reach that mark. I mean, it it is it, it's a roller coaster ride. You never know. I mean, which players are going to succeed and which ones aren't. But uh, you shouldn't fixate yourself on that. Yeah, the problem, the problem, Chris, is I think the the commentators are feeding it right. I don't know that Twelman Twelman's not the type to feed it. Although maybe today he was just more comfortable talking about it uh, because he was comfortable talking about the non-Americans on Man City. It was just maybe Swansea he wasn't as comfortable with. But NBC and other people on social media and commentators have fed this to the point where yeah, it was seeing things about how Frank Lampard was anti-American. Because he wouldn't pick Pulisic and uh, also stuff about how, oh, Nagelsmann, he doesn't know what he's doing. You know how talented Tyler Adams is. It'd be like, uh, Nagelsmann may be the best young manager in the world, right? right? Yep. And the fact that you know, he, 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 he uses Adams, but I'll tell you, there was a match um, between Bayern and Le- Leipzig earlier this season when, uh, and I think it was a 3-3 draw, where Nagelsmann, you could see his face when Adams made a mistake and was chewing him out a lot. And I, I actually rate I like Adams better than I like Pulisic as a player. But um, it's, I think this is being fed by the commentators in this country and the social media, the, those who, have, who are influencers, what, you know, however you interpret that term, on social media, who are American soccer people. And uh, I, I, I'm very disturbed by it because I, I mean, I always knew it was there, but then I dealt with it with the Pulisic thing with, at Chelsea because I liked this player mount that I had seen in the championship a lot the previous year. And that's why then now I know I maybe go over the top and call them the Pulisic police and all this stuff on social media. But I can't, I can't compliment Mason Mount for his football without someone coming back to me about Pulisic. I guess for uh, Twelman, going back to him for a second, it all depends 
which is his best role. So we, if we go back to, say, Euro 2016, uh, Twelman was, to me, at, at the top of his game, just really good analysis, uh, did his homework big time. I mean, you could tell that uh, heading into the Euros that he definitely studied up, uh, watched play, uh, tapes and you name it on each of the different teams. But is his role, is he better as an analyst or a co-commentator? And the same thing happens when you, you kind of think of Stu Holden. Is Stu Holden better as a commentator or as a analyst? For Stu Holden, I think it's analyst. Twelman, what do you think? What do you think his, his better role is? It might be as an analyst also. I mean, it, that's it, – it, it's uh, – he's really good in studio when he's able to elaborate on his thoughts – uh, although, look, I mean, today there, there are certain things where in the first five minutes of the second half when this match was decided, he was picking up on patterns of play quicker than a lot of co-commentators do. So um, in defense of him, you know, he recognizes things when he's watching a match maybe quicker than your usual co-commentator. But in terms of his style, I think he's more suited to the studio. I would agree on that with Holden. And actually, you know, with someone other than uh, – NBC got the Premier League in, in the future. I would I would hope Holden would get hired by them. Although the, the the issue would be Holden, of course, his ties to Fox for the for the men's national team purposes. But I think he actually is a guy that I you mentioned Premier League and maybe the inadequacy of some of these uh, commentators. I, I actually think he would be quite good in, in studio for the Premier League. Yeah, Twelman. I, I think his role. I, I agree with you in terms of. I think he's a better analyst than a co-commentator. Uh, co-commentator, he's not bad, but I prefer him as an analyst. And I think a lot of it, too, is chemistry. So I love John Champion. He's one of the greatest commentators, still is one of the greatest commentators. But I'm getting a little bit old and tired of the shtick between those two. It, it's funny at times listening to conversations about Skyline Chili and fish and chips and things like that. But what I, where I see Twelman at his best is when he's on a panel, uh, studio analysis, and it's him, Roberto Martinez, um, you mean a couple of maybe I don't, I don't know Stuart Robson or some some opinionated analysts who know the game really really well, and they're debating something or they're discussing a hot topic. Maybe it's a a change in the tactical evolution of, of soccer, and each of them are given their own opinions and like, hey, have you seen this? What about this? You mean those types of things where you then see him play off them better. Now now with John Champion, it's just the two of them, and it, it's. It's a fun ride, but it's not the same type of conversation that you, ha- you would have where you get the best out of Twelman. Now, John Champion, to me, should be, you know, should be in the commentating booth, and he's a good host. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a new role for him, right? That's something that uh, we're not accustomed to. I don't think even John is accustomed to and up until like the last couple of years with ESPN. And it, he does a good, good job at it. But I think that uh, in the Euros this summer, which actually during the, the Swansea-Man City game, I think John Champion uh, dropped a hint that Roberto Martinez, uh, I think he said Roberto Martinez, uh, part of our team. Well, to me, that's a hint that, that probably Roberto Martinez may be part of the uh, the Euro coverage on ESPN this summer. Because anyone that knows Roberto Martinez, no, he's, he's worked for ESPN in the past. It's been quite a while since he's been on ESPN. He does mostly coverage lately for uh, CBS. So that's a good hint, and that's a anyway, that's a great acquisition if they bring him in this summer, uh, as well as other guests. But um, yeah, yeah, T- Taylor, I guess. So just again, it's per- it, it, for me, it's personal because it's my own team. 
but um, we'll move on in a second. But it just, it just, I guess, I, I guess, I finally feel what other f- soccer fans feel when he is being maybe overcritical and underprepared um, when it's your team, when you know that team better than anyone. Uh, kind of not not better than anyone, but better than uh, most of your friends because that is your team, and you do take it personally. All right, Kartik, the topic of the week this week is talking about timing is everything, talking about the soccer streaming wars of 2021. Uh, the year you know, recently kicked off, we're in month two, and we're looking ahead at 2021. Well, we know that ESPN Plus uh, is going after the La Liga rights. Now, whether or not they'll get it, we don't know. We know that ESPN is interested in Premier League rights, whether they'll get it uh, from NBC in that battle or maybe CBS will get it. We don't know yet, but ESPN Plus is a major player there. Now, Paramount Plus, uh, the the soon-to-be-renamed CBS All Access, is going to Paramount Plus on March 4th. We know that they're going after Serie A rights, as well as ESPN Plus is. At the same time, we know that there is a major Spanish-language broadcaster that has a streaming service that's going after the Copa America rights. We don't know who that's going to be yet, um, maybe details in the future, but we know that that's also a trend too. At the same time, you've got Discovery Plus, which is a, a brand new streaming service on the fringes, but I'm sure looking for sports rights to pick up in order to go ahead and increase those subscription numbers, uh, make uh, Discovery Plus a destination too. Above and beyond that, there's a whole bunch of other streaming services too. But you've got, anyway, the the major players, ESPN Plus, um, Paramount Plus with CBS, some of the Spanish language broadcasters, of course, uh, and Discovery Plus, and, and, and many others too, battling for soccer rights. Now, at the same time, What we found out this week is that ESPN for 2021 has a goal of increasing the number of subscribers that they have for ESPN+. So currently, it's about 10 million subscribers. Um, We understand that their goal by the end of this year is to reach 15 million subscribers for ESPN+. So an increase of 5 million subscribers. Now, part of that might come from acquisition of other sports rights, in non-soccer rights, but it does tell us that ESPN Plus most probably are going to try to acquire more rights this year to make ESPN Plus more of a destination, make it the destination for soccer. And it also makes sense that ESPN Plus is having discussions with La Liga to try to figure out a way, is there any way possible that we can go ahead and get those La Liga rights uh, from being sports um, from now onwards? So that that's where we're at. So, I mean, there's HBO Max, who uh, recently launched. Uh, there's Netflix. There's Amazon Prime. Uh, there's a lot of streaming services that could add sports to the package to make it even more competitive. What do you think, Kartik? Uh, do you see uh, any winners in this one in 2021? We can speculate. I mean, I, th- I think certainly uh, Paramount Pro- Plus is in the... Uh is 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 going to get aggressive and i think they're trying to to really market th- that uh that streaming service they have the champions league as a as a soccer anchor and they're going to try and pick up something else seria we know they're after i i would not be surprised if uh they they 
uh, go all out to try and pick something else up. Um, we can speculate on what that would be. Obviously, La Liga with ESPN Plus we've talked about. I think another uh, an- another thing that will be very interesting uh, to see is if ESPN Plus is going to be able to continue to collect all and, and keep all these domestic cup competitions. Because what I think has happened with the value out of ESPN Plus, for example, I watched Barcelona Sevilla. Uh, much of that match today yep. on ESPN Plus. I watched. Uh, I mean, I've watched a bunch of Copa del Rey matches on ESPN Plus actually in the last few weeks. So um, they still have a foot, foot into all of these different competitions. They've got the German Cup. They've got Copa del Rey. They've got Copa Italia. They have the FA Cup. They have the League Cup. Uh, maybe they can take the French Cup from BN at some point. I, well, that's uh, the whole BN conversation. It's maybe another conversation. But they, I think, they are adding value as you go on in that service with cup competitions. Does Paramount plus maybe see some value in taking the cup competitions, which are cheaper and maybe easy to get their hands on? Because remember when ESPN had lost a bunch of soccer rights, they held on to the rights to both the German cup and the uh, Copa del Rey during that, that period. Yep. Uh, by extension, they had this, the super cups in both uh, Germany and, uh, and Spain. And actually they would put the Spanish super Copa on uh on, on uh, linear television because it always had Barcelona or Real Madrid in. So um, that's something that maybe Paramount Plus or even Discovery Plus tries to grab to get some value. Is it is it the Copa del Rey? Uh, do they try and grab that? Then they've got Barcelona and Real Madrid, although maybe Barcelona and Real Madrid are less attractive than they used to be. Uh, if uh, Cristiano Ronaldo re-signs with Juventus for another year now, we don't know if he will. Right, He's 36 now. Um, does that make the Copa Italia uh, uh, attractive? So I think there's a lot that could go on between cups and leagues. We tend to talk a lot about leagues, but the cup competitions are also uh, pr- pretty uh, pretty important and have gotten ESPN. We just got done talking about Taylor Twelman and an English game, right? They, and uh, even when they didn't have the Bundesliga rights, when the Bundesliga was on Fox, we had Twelman as a co-commentator for multiple games involving Bayern or Borussia Dortmund because of the cup competitions. So I think that's going to be interesting. The other thing that I think will be very interesting this year is going to be this La Liga situation. I, I know I've said it. I'm a broken record on this show for the last however many years. La Liga has to get off of uh, off of BN. Your reporting uh, has indicated that uh, – <laughs> And I know they're aware of it, but it's just kind of confirmed that they're aware that that they've got this problem. They've got a potential out with ESPN. So let's watch how that develops. And if that does happen, does that limit ESPN's ability to retain other rights? Because, yeah, in theory, they have unlimited bandwidth on on ESPN Plus, but they don't have uh, unlimited promotional rights. potential or marketing potential uh, they can't market these leagues or uh, and these competitions all equally and there's also a limits on money and we know uh, disney has not done great during this pandemic yeah the marketing and promotion I, I don't think they care as much about because it's one of those things that they're hoping that there's so many people that subscribe to espn plus that within espn plus it almost uh cross promotes itself in terms of you I mean you you open up espn plus and it's gotten better lately as far as um, at the top recommending some games that uh, you, you'll you be interested in. So when I log in, I usually don't see too many, I mean, 
baseball or other sports, usually it's it's all the soccer ones near the yeah. top. Now and again, it might be some college sports there recommended there. So I think it's um, once it knows more about that individual, about what you as an individual watch, it kind of it recommends what now playing or also live or com- upcoming. The other thing about 2021, Kartik, too, is that um, it's going to be a major year. So we've talked about La Liga. La Liga's rights are through 2024, but there's still an effort to try to see if that if there's a way to figure out a way to get um, that being sports contract broken and then those rights go to somebody else. But outside of that, though, too, you do have Serie A, that league, um, the actual current rights end with this season. So those are up for bid as of right now. You've got the FA Cup. You've got the Eredivisie. You've got Copa America. Uh, I know, I'm working on a story, I know that ESPN Plus is going to be adding another soccer league that's not mentioned here, but there's more to come. And then lastly, the Premier League. And actually, the one streaming service we haven't mentioned yet, which is a big player, is Peacock TV. So you've got Peacock TV, you've got Paramount Plus, you've got ESPN Plus, you've got Discovery Plus, you've got the Spanish language streaming services, uh, Fox has uh, Tubi, which they're trying to... That, that's more of an ad-supported uh, free platform, almost like a Pluto TV. Pluto TV is owned by CBS. So th- there's a, a lot of opportunities here. But the one thing that we're not talking about is television rights. It's it, Our whole discussion has been about streaming. I mean, so much more of the soccer, other than Liga MX and other than the World Cup, and that's about it. Everything else is going to streaming. The one other thing about this Kartik, and we touched upon this in the last episode, but we can it's it's worth mentioning again, is the one league that's not being mentioned here is Major League Soccer. And yet again, I think they're missing out because they have this entire season and next season before their rights deal ends and and a new one begins. Um there was an interview actually uh, on Wednesday uh between the media and Major League Soccer and Don Garber mentioned in there that uh, they're not going to start up the rights, broadcast rights, um, um, basically deals or discussions about those deals until after the pandemic. So which which makes sense from a business point of view. I mean, we're in, what, 2021. Uh, The MLS TV deal doesn't end until the end of 2022. So it's very probable that uh, those discussions wouldn't start until much later this year or early next year anyway. And by that point, hopefully the pandemic is pretty much over, or at least most people have have been vaccinated if they want to be vaccinated. Uh, hopefully we would have gone, I mean, jumped over the hump there and, and, and things are looking much brighter. So by him saying that, it's, that isn't, um, that isn't uh, anything controversial. But Major League Soccer is missing out on, on these streaming wars because if you do have Paramount Plus, say they go in and get Serie A, uh, say the Premier League goes in uh, with Peacock again and, and uh, does a big deal. Say ESPN finds a way to get La Liga somehow. Say one of the Spanish language uh, uh, channels, maybe Telemundo, gets uh, Copa America, so on and so forth. That uh, it makes you wonder then too for the next uh, for the MLS TV deal, where does that go to? And again, it's 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 intertwined with uh, U.S. soccer, the U.S. men's national team, the U.S. women's national team. Uh, and that's that's really the rights that these major broadcasters want is they know that the U.S. women's national team 
has great TV ratings. The men's not so much, but it could get back get back up there. But Major League Soccer is the one that's missing out on these uh, soccer streaming wars now. Maybe next year, maybe it'll be heated. Um, maybe there'll be more competition. I'm not so sure on that, though. All right, Kontek, let's move on to TV streaming news. And we've covered a couple, a couple of the topics we were going to mention in this discussion of the streaming wars. But um, I'll just mention uh, the one last piece of news, and that is is that uh, fans of Italian soccer... Now, if you're a fan of uh, you know, Padova or one of the clubs that's in uh, Serie B or Serie C in Italy, uh, previously it was, it was a very difficult experience trying to watch those games. I think some of the games were on DAZN in the past... Uh, and other streaming services. But now, beginning in February 2021, matches from Serie B and Serie C are available via a new live pay-per-view streaming service called Live Now. So if you Google Live Now, you'll find uh, those games, and uh, each game is available from $4 to $6 each, depending on on which teams they are. So that's good news if you do support uh, one of those teams in those leagues. All right, uh, as far as um, recommendations for this weekend, Kartik matches to watch. I'll go first on mine. Uh, mine is uh, Sunday's game between Inter Milan and Lazio uh, on Sunday, 2.45 Eastern time on ESPN+. Plus. You've got uh, Inter Milan uh, in second place in the league and Lazio in fifth. Uh, Inter Milan trying to c- catch up with uh, AC Milan and... Uh, I still think Inter Milan has a good job of, of trying to overtake AC Milan, but that's my game of the weekend. What about you, Kartik? Well, in terms of that match, I think the pressure is really now going to get heaped on Conte because they're out of uh, the Coppa Italia, they're out of Europe. They really have no um, <laughs> no choice but to win. Uh, uh, and they've got financial issues. They have no choice but uh, but to win uh, um, uh, Serie A. Um, I, I'm really want um to promote lil because i think what's going on with lil is uh is pretty amazing um and they're playing uh and, and they're they're top of the table in liga they are um on this incredible run uh spurred but partly by ronaldo sanchez who was such a a, a flop at bayern and, and an even bigger flop when he was with you on loan right at swansea yep. uh, but then of course the canadian jonathan david is really kind of the main man there in terms of goal scoring uh but they don't have that attractive a match this week so maybe we'll wait till next week and we'll go with um with the uh, the contest uh, between Manchester City and Spurs uh, this weekend, right? Uh, which is a um, is going to be very very interesting because I think what we've seen for Pep, um, and by the way, that's uh, that's a, a a late kickoff on on uh, Saturday. That's the NBC game. What we've seen from Pep against Mourinho of late has been of concern. Uh, quite frankly. And Mourinho has been able on multiple occasions now to put together. And this is why it's so it's so odd, Chris, watching Mourinho with this season or of late where they're just kind of very reactive and they're very predictable because as much of a defensive manager as Mourinho has the reputation for being in a one off match, no one puts together tactical uh masterpieces right mm-hmm. just the the, the these, these one-off tactical masterpieces right. like he does the game plans does. you think about inter against chelsea and then against barcelona in 2010 you think of even how we beat antonio conte's chelsea 
with Manchester United, with the depleted United squad in 2017, how he's beaten Pep time and again both at Manchester United against Manchester City and uh, with Spurs. The last few uh, Spurs uh, uh, City matches have been unwatchable from my perspective as a City fan. I mean, each time Mourinho puts together some sort of game plan. That having been said, Chris, this is why it's so interesting. Pep Pep, uh, is, is, we know, kind of a, a, a stylist, right? I think Pep has become incredibly pragmatic in the last three or four months. And right now, tactically, I think he's thinking about uh, opposition as much as he's thinking about the style. And we saw that with even the way he had Sterling attacking Trent Ar- and Alexander-Arnold on, uh, on Sunday against Liverpool. So Mourinho's one-off match planning, which has gotten him to beat uh, Mar- uh, Pep an awful lot between Manchester uh, – Pep at City, an awful lot between Manchester United and, and Spurs. Maybe this is when Pep uh, punches back, and plus he's got the better team. Possibly, possibly, but then it could be that Man City running away with it with Pep Guardiola and uh, really, I mean, creating a, a much uh, bigger distance at the top uh, of the table. Yeah, um, yeah that, that'll be an interesting one to watch for sure. And I think Spurs too, having Harry Kane back, uh, that's a huge plus. So now at least, I mean, get the game against Everton, they were scoring goals, but then at the same time they were letting goals in. But like you said, it's a one-off match. It's a, it's a you mean, winner must go, uh, go on type of thing. Right, TV ratings. Uh, we don't have a lot this week, but uh, we do have Liverpool against Man City that you mentioned, Kartik. This game was on Sunday and this one delivered 1.05 million viewers across NBCSN and NBCSports.com. It's the second most watched Premier League game on cable in US history. Mm. So, and I think that's probably, well, actually, that's, that's, I mean, it's got to be more, more, I don't know, I think it's maybe definitely a Liverpool fan base, um, yeah. but then also a lot, a lot of neutrals tuning in for this one, and of course City supporters too, but, uh, but yeah, impressive numbers there. Listener mailbag. First up is Carl. Carl says, on the U.S. men's national team against uh, Trinidad and Tobago, TV ratings, what do you feel should have been expected? I was surprised to see it break 250,000 viewers, the ceiling for MLS on FS1 regular season broadcasts. Since you're talking about going head-to-head with Club America, taking away nearly all of the Spanish language audience, an unsexy opponent and an audience almost entirely comprised of English-speaking diehard U.S. men's national team fans wanting to see what the Olympic roster might look like. Now, Kartik, maybe I'm a uh, traditionalist. Um, Maybe I'm out of touch in terms of my views at times, but it's still the U.S. men's national team, right? I, I know that morale is low, um, it is the national team. So on the men's side, so whether people, some people are jaded, whether some people are not as interested, I still think that you should be getting more people watching the U.S. national team in soccer, even if it's a friendly, more so than say Burnley against Brighton or, or uh, a Burnley against Crystal Palace. Not to pick on Burnley, but but th- those viewing numbers for those types of games in the Premier League are about the same as the U.S. national team on the men's side. So there's ob- something obviously wrong. Um, yes, if that game was on ESPN, it probably would have had greater viewing numbers, probably maybe 300,000 people. But I think it's just a, a sad indictment 
that so few people tune in to watch the U.S. men's national team in a, in a country with a huge population. Um, and there are definitely huge amounts of soccer fans uh, around. What do you think, Kartik? I, I mean, to me, I, I would have expected, I don't know, 450,000 viewers to tune in to watch that game, even if it's a, a, a rather meaningless friendly. What about you? I don't know. I guess I, I, I don't know. I, I mean, I think to, to, I think the number was low, but I, I'm thinking: should it be uh, four fifty or would three fifty be acceptable? Um, but 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 does it? I, say, I mean, what does it say? Does it say that uh, we have? I mean, more people tuning in to watch Christian Pulisic play for Chelsea or sit on the bench than we do their entire team of uh, mostly Major League Soccer players playing for the U.S. national team. I mean. Th- that's what it seems to be, yeah, right? Yeah, no, no, no. But even, I mean, even like the stars of MLS, I, I noticed when Newcastle, uh, when Almiron, and Almiron's playing well. I, yeah. I guess he was in that well. game. I, I was watching Brighton. Uh, I like watching Brighton this season. So I was actually watching Brighton on Peacock and not that Newcastle game. But uh, Almiron, when he first went to Newcastle, there was a spike in Newcastle ratings for a few weeks and then it, it leveled off. But So I think the better MLS players, but again, you and I have talked about this, Chris, the better MLS players or foreign players. Miguel Almiron is at the very top of the list in terms of guys that have uh, that have come out and uh, out of MLS lately. And Alfonso Davies, right? They're not Americans, the best MLS players. So, um, yeah, I don't think people are excited to watch Americans from MLS because, quite frankly, MLS um, – and you, we've talked a lot about Taylor Twelman today. Twelman always points this out. What is it that usually outside of Jordan Morris, who now, you know, who knows? Maybe he stays at Swansea or maybe he stays in Europe after this. Outside of Jordan Morris – really the kind of top 15 players or so in MLS have all been foreigners lately. So, so I think that's part of it. I mean, these are these are not even the stars in MLS anymore. So I have a rhetorical question, Kartik, for you. Um, so if, if you're the U.S. Soccer Federation and you're Fox and you say, OK, how do we fix this problem? How do we get more Americans watching the U.S. men's national team, even if it's a meaningless friendly? What should we do? Well, actually, actually, it's not rhetorical. Let me ask you the question. If you were U.S. soccer or you were Fox um, and you have another game scheduled in the future, how, what would you do to increase these numbers? I don't know. Well, I really don't know. Because well, I, don't, I just don't think that there's I, – I don't think that there's that much interest in this national team except among um, diehards until um, – but even the diehards, I think, are a little yeah, bit jaded on this one too. The other thing, I think that there's been this kind of this, this, this. They're they're now victims of their own success in terms of American players being good in Europe because now there are the people who are like, oh, they're so excited they're going to see McKinney and Adams play together. But there's more excitement about watching McKinney play for Juventus than there is about watching McKinney play for uh, – and Pirlo has been using him well, of late, yeah, by the way. So really, really well. He's featuring pretty – yeah, he's looking really good. Um, he's, he, again, you know, you hear all about Pulisic, but McKinney, to me, is ahead of him right now. Uh, and is on a better team also. Um, yeah, I don't think there's that much excitement among American fans because they're like – you know what? It used to be when Americans came into the national team, even the guys playing in Europe, they were proud uh, of playing for the national team. And there was something about the national team that made them raise their games, right? All these kind of journeyman American players, uh, for lack of a better term. I'm not trying to insult them. But, you know, the journeyman type players, that, that the, the, the hardworking American. Now you have 
outstanding American players like Pulisic, like McKinney, uh, and others uh, that, um, quite frankly, they go to the national team and they don't perform as well because of what's around them. I mean, I said it, I've said it for a couple of years with DeAndre Yedlin. He's been picked on by national team fans who don't watch Newcastle or now they won't watch Galatasaray, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm like, no, you know, he's not the same player I see at Newcastle. At Newcastle, I see, you know, a, 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 not a star, but a you know, a good, serviceable Premier League level right back. What do we see with the national team? Mistake after mistake. And I think it's because of the culture around the national team, all the concerns about the federation, all of that stuff has seeped into the national team culture, has impact, has poisoned a lot of fans to where you're only down to like diehards and people who are, you know, America for American national team first type people. So I, I think that's it. I mean, I think even. Uh, the fact, even if you've got McKinney and Pulisic and Adams and, and Dest and all these top Americans playing for the national team, they're just not interested. They'd rather watch McKinney with Juventus. I mean, <laughs> wouldn't you rather watch Juventus than the U.S. men's national team? I would. Well, well I, think, I think that's part of it, too, is that, is that the gig is up. So I think yeah. most American soccer fans are smart enough to know that if they want to see soccer at, at its highest level, they're probably watching the Champions League or Copa Libertadores. I mean, all the different leagues from around the world, and you will see those players playing at the highest levels. And when you see a meaningless friendly, those players aren't featured, uh, or it's a, it's against a a team that's playing a second string team. I mean, the the Trinidad and Tobago uh, that was nothing compared to uh, TNT from the past. So I think that's part of it too. But but for me, as as a a mad passionate soccer fan if it's my team and if it's my country i will watch anyway right but uh, there seems to be almost like a more of a loyalty with the club than it is with the country there's always been that club versus country debate which i know in the past in past years kartik i know you've discussed and debated quite a lot but but, but going back to my initial question so the next game that the u.s men's national team will play is a friendly against northern ireland Northern Ireland, a good team, a hard-working team, not a lot of stars, not a great competitor in the world of, uh, of world football, but somebody that would actually give them a bit of a uh, kind of a physical matchup. And that game is going to be live on Fox Network over there, Fox. So that's how you fix the numbers. You have, you know, in Emilia's fr- uh, March twenty eighth, I think it is. So it's on FS1, it's on, I'm, I'm sorry, it's on Fox, it's on Unamas, it's on Tuduene, so they will make a big deal out of that. But then you might get a false impression of the U.S. because Northern Ireland has been really close, they qualified obviously for the Euros and did well in the Euros four years ago. They were really close, maybe a, a, a blown call away from qualifying for the World Cup in 2018, and were very close again, uh, lost it late in the playoff, uh, the uh, last international break, uh, to qualifying for the Euros this time. So what kind of Northern Ireland team is going to show up? They've 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 uh, been good, but they you know this is a, this a lot is of players like, are playing like the championship, game. League One, right? You no, know, not only that, it's just like a letdown game. I mean, you know, they for, have I for mean, them or for us. Evans, is, well, yeah, um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, for them, it's a bit of a let letdown. For us, it's a yeah. bit of a let letdown. Uh, but I think I think Fox and U.S. Soccer will use this to start starting the promotion machine for the Gold Cup. They'll start kind of like really pumping up these players, pumping up the opposition. And with the game being played in Northern Ireland, we can expect Gio Reyna, Christian Pulisic, even some of the, the uh, European-based players to be at least featured in the squad, hopefully injury-free and hope, hopefully to play in this game. 
But it's it's come down to that too. It's come down to kind of that hype machine, which de- definitely helps the promotion. And but um, but I think at the end of the day, I guess going back to the initial question from Carl, uh, I would expect the numbers to be greater, not that much greater. But I think most soccer fans uh, know good soccer and know good matchups, and those matches that they care about the most. They will figure out a way to watch those and watch the, you mean, from minute one they're to, to ninety. Seven goals or nine goals or whatever they've been scoring against these Concacaf teams. They're not going to score that against Northern Ireland. So, uh, it, it's also a kind of a dangerous situation because uh, if it's a if it's a, a Northern Ireland team that maybe isn't uh, as down about not qualifying as I'm assuming they will be, it could be a nil nil or one nil Northern Ireland win. Then what happens with the hype machine? Yeah. I guess in a way, though, too, the U.S. national team is in a difficult spot because they're with the pandemic and then having basically two camps. They have the U.S. camp uh, and and the European camp, and they're trying to keep them separated. But then with the European camp, most of the teams, the top teams in Europe, are working and uh, towards uh, Euro 2020 and and uh, getting some key friendlies set up for those. Um, and maybe that the Italy's and the England's of the world and the Germany's of the world may not be interested in playing US, the, the U.S. men's national team at this point. Maybe they're looking for other European countries or maybe, I don't know, maybe some, some tougher opposition to play against to prepare them for Euro 2020. Um, I just think overall it's a sad state of affairs that we're in right now. And again, I mean, hopefully these numbers will continue to increase over time, but... Uh, we shall see. All right. Last but not least, RJ Hawkins says, uh, great content on the pod lately. Crazy how much movement there is in the soccer rights sphere at the, at all the time. I live in a market where the local regional sports network has been off the major cable provider and dish network for a year and a half with no end in sight effectively isolating a lot of the fan base. In regards to the upcoming MLS TV deal, how do you see the local rights working out? Are we in store for the first deal of the big five leagues where it's possible to get in-market games with a streaming package? In my case, it would be easier to be a Nashville FC fan than a Rapids fan from a TV viewing and accessibility standpoint. Would NHL, Major League Baseball, NBA uh, ever go to such a model? So this is one that uh, in this next TV deal with MLS, um, MLS has told all of the leagues, um, all of the teams uh, not to do any regional TV deals, not to renew or extend or uh, do any new deals. So we shall we shall see. It might be one of those things that uh, for the next TV deal. Well, we know that MLS is going to combine those those regional rights in with the national package. Now, how they divvy those up and and, um, make those available. It could be one of those things. It could be that uh, all the games are available nationally through through a streaming provider and or TV. So if you're watching LA Galaxy against LAFC that's on uh, ESPN2 on a Saturday night and maybe all the other games on that day are on ESPN+, whether you're in market or out of market. Um, And then Fox would probably have some of the rights to the Sunday games and then Univision might have the Spanish language broadcast on the Saturday game or the Friday game, whatever it may be. I, I just see a big change happening with the regional sports networks, and I, and I don't see them being a major player. If anything, and we've heard so many stories from listeners and readers about how much of a pain in the neck 
the regional uh, rights uh, issue is anyway. You could be living outside of an area but being blocked from, from watching those games because the blackout area is much greater than, than what you would imagine it to be for that team. And, and so you end up, even if you live, say, 200 miles or 300 miles from that team, not being able to watch that team because uh, effectively they're blacking out a huge portion of that region. There's a whole bunch of stories. And actually, R.J. Hawkins mentions the, uh, the Rapids as another example of a real huge issue where Rapids fans have a very difficult time watching their team on television. What about you, Kartik? Do you see any additional thoughts or uh, observations here regarding what RJ mentioned? Yeah, so I think the, the thing with the RSNs also, um, and there are some of the the um, Comcast ones or, or NBC ones, I guess they're branded NBC, the Comcast Sportnet, the old Comcast Sportsnet, are a little different. Um, not not really the Philly one, but some of the other ones are, are slightly different in their composition. But my complaint is that these sports, that, uh, these RSNs have been so created with baseball and basketball in mind that generally you see um, hockey and soccer get bumped and, and uh, it not work out for them. So then MLS or a couple MLS clubs tried this flow TV thing that blew up in their face. Right. Um, and, and then uh, now I think it's probably easier if um, they get rid of the whole the whole regional thing. Now, it, it made MLS – I understand it because getting on those channels – I'll be honest. I mean you were a Fusion fan also and, I, I, and the Mutiny before that. Um, getting on the Florida channels, which were um, Sunshine, Sunshine Network, now Sun Sports, uh, and uh, the Fox Sports of uh, Florida uh, – were, was important for me feeling like, okay, these teams are kind of legitimate, right? Because the magic is on there and the heat is on there and the Marlins are on there and the, and the Tampa Bay Rays are on there, et cetera, the Panthers, Florida Panthers. But um, now I think we're, that, that, that's, that was the insecurity of being a soccer fan back then. Now I think we're well past that. Uh, and it's probably best for MLS to, to package everything together and sell it. Uh, as a as an as a national deal, whether it's the ESPN Plus um, and get some money out of it, or to one of these other streaming services, okay? So what the NHL has done, which I really like, I don't know what's going to happen within this next NHL package, but what the NHL has done is, yeah, the the matches are on uh, the the games that are national games are on uh, are on NBC or an NBCSN or on uh, the the Comcast channels versus before that. Uh, but now, but the uh, out-of-market games are on ESPN Plus, so I could see MLS saying, "Okay, ESPN." Well, they, it's on, they have their stuff on ESPN Plus now, right? MLS Live, but ESPN and Fox, you keep the, the national package. We are selling the out-of-market um, MLS Live, former MLS Live, to Paramount Plus, or we're selling it to Discovery Plus, and getting another rights holder in, getting some more money out of it, and improving access. I think that's better than these matches being. I know. Okay, if you're in like a local market, maybe you feel very different about it, and you like your game being on the local Fox Sports affiliate or the local Com- Com- Comcast NBC uh, affiliate, NBC uh, Washington, NBC Philly, whatever. But I think it makes more sense from MLS's perspective to get them off there and and maybe sell them as a package. Yeah, part of the thing about uh, Major League Soccer and, and their next TV deal is that uh, they might end up with essentially sloppy seconds. So for 2021, if uh, Paramount Plus goes in big to try to get Serie A, if ESPN 
tries to find some way, however they do it, to get La Liga. If Peacock uh, renews the rights to the Premier League on a major deal, then what you have left is Major League Soccer, but then you've got the streaming providers that may not have gotten what they wanted. So maybe it's a Discovery Plus, uh, or maybe it's... um, I don't know. I mean, you mean they might have some other streaming services might say, you know what, we didn't get any of the rights that we're going after, some of the big ones. So let's go ahead and try to get Major League Soccer. And and it might be ESPN Plus because it seems that ESPN Plus wants, at this point, almost everything. If it can get its hands on everything, uh, it will, it will, it has the money from Disney, it will try to get those rights. But it could be a Discovery Plus or, or some other streaming service that is kind of flying under the radar a little bit. Say if Paramount Plus doesn't get Serie A, maybe ESPN gets it again for a, a three more years. Paramount Plus could be interested in it, in it and try to do the connection between Major League Soccer and the Champions League, where they're talking about the next great American stars that are going to play in the Champions League. And then, you mean, the uh, the American players that used to play in the MLS and just do some cross-promotion there, that's a, a possibility too. But yeah, 2021 absolutely, absolutely will be a fascinating year. And we will keep you updated throughout the year on the podcast and the website and the newsletter and, and all of our different ways, uh, social media, etc. But we want you to have your say. We want to hear from you, whatever questions you have, observations, uh, anything you'd like to ask us about uh, television or streaming or how to watch uh, some of the best games from around the world. We are here to help you. You can always reach us via email through web at worldsoccertalk.com as well as facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk and on Twitter at worldsoccertalk. Plus, of course, you can always post your comments on worldsoccertalk.com in the podcast section. Kartik, uh, another long but uh, very uh, eventful episode with a lot of great analysis. Uh, thanks again. And uh, looking ahead to this weekend, football from around the world, uh, what should everyone do? Enjoy your football. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.